Hi everyone. Are you ready to hear more intimate details about the Emerald Triangle? In previous episodes, I dwelled on more negative aspects of my life as a courier. Today, I want to talk to you about our hopes and dreams that we had as we built up our little empire. I've told you a little bit about my background of being raised as a devout Mormon most of my life, but when I was in my 40s, I left the church and set out on a much more interesting path that landed me right smack in the middle of Burning Man. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what Burning Man is, it's not only an annual festival out in the Nevada desert in a temporary place called Black Rock City, but it's also a culture of vibrantly creative people. Every Labor Day week at this eight-day art and music festival, over 72,000 of these free-spirited people go completely crazy. They dress up in spectacular costumes, cruise around in crazy art cars, ride brightly lit bicycles, gliding all over this seven-mile stretch of desert to see art installations, interact with each other, dance in the dust at the music camps, and participate in wildly weird New Age workshops. The Burner Vampires come out at night to the energetic, fun, far-out, colorfully lit fairy world on steroids. Beginning on Thursday nights, brightly lit fires burn out in the middle of the playa. We call it the playa because it's Spanish for beach. In the prehistoric times, this land used to be next to a very deep water. Now, this modern playa consists of hundreds of miles of beige sand. On Saturday evening, the festival comes to a climax at the burn. This is when these noisy little vampires grow overly excited in anticipation of torching the 40-foot-high effigy of the man, along with a spectacular display of fireworks. Because we're vampires, of course, we stay up till the sun comes up. Actually, my friends and I usually stayed up till the sun came up every day throughout the week and we slept all day. It gets really hot and dusty during the day. It's better to avoid the heat and dust storms and sleep through all that. Besides, if you're a vampire, you don't want to melt. Over two decades ago, Larry Harvey, the founder of Burning Man, broke up with his girlfriend. In her honor, he decided to burn her effigy out on the North Beach in San Francisco. <laughs> All his friends loved this party so much that they kept meeting year after year. The party evolved and just got bigger and bigger. Bitter memories of the girlfriend faded away as the effigy changed to the man. And these San Franciscans leased a seven-mile square patch of land out in Nevada for two months out of the year for the bludgeoning festival. This last year, I heard they had over 75,000 people attend. It's really gotten out of control, <laughs> to be sure. The last night of the burn Sunday, things calm down and the night turns to her spiritual face. With solemnness and sacredness, they burn the huge temple. This ceremony is ephemeral and feminine in nature, as opposed to the wild and aggressive burn the night before. Throughout the week, people bring their trinkets and physical representations of personal traumas, 
unattained hopes and dreams, lost lives and loves of friends and family into the temple as she waits to release our heartbreaks into the ether. This cathedral-sized temple is a medium for psychological therapy and spiritual healing. I remember one time at sunset, federal agents who patrol Burning Man premises had their own procession to the temple across the playa for one of their own, a fallen officer. Even they get into the spirit of Burning Man. The temple is built out of wood, like the man, and is a different ornate design every year and usually stands about 80 to 100 feet high. Our Burning Man temple is a mandala of sorts, a metaphor like the Asian monks who make sand paintings, then blow them away. It's an exercise not to get too attached to anything, traumas, suffering, or even the temple itself. The temple burn is really my favorite part of Burning Man. I was mesmerized by the fiery tornadoes that danced around the incendiary neon orange temple under the black desert sky. It's such a powerful feeling to dance on the desert under the stars in sync of heartbeat rhythm and otherworldly frequencies, or watch the burn against the backdrop of colorfully lit art cars. The grassroots culture of Burning Man has evolved to incorporate 10 principles that are way better than the 10 commandments. Some of the 10 principles incorporate beliefs such as radical inclusiveness, self-reliance, gifting, or leave no trace, which are principles that are exactly what they say they are. Radical inclusiveness was a very foreign concept to me before I became a burner. Starting as a child, the Mormons taught me that the only people who pay tithing, go to church, don't smoke, don't drink caffeine or liquor, and follow a plethora of other rules are worthy enough to be allowed to go inside the Mormon temples. Those parents, family, and friends who aren't considered worthy are not allowed to attend the weddings of couples who get married in the temples. To me, this seemed very cruel and exclusive. The fact that the Burning Man culture has a luminous and radiant temple for everyone to enjoy is really astonishing to me. For the most part, people honor the sacredness of the temple throughout the days prior to the burn. This is a very accepting and open culture. I also love the leave no trace principle. When all 75,000 people with their cars, tents, RVs, sound camps, huge ornate installations, and makeshift dining halls pack up, they are expected to absolutely leave no trace whatsoever. Groups that big can make a tornado of garbage, but instead we return the desert to its original state. Come the first day of fall in September, which is three weeks after the event, it's as if Burning Man was nothing more than a dream. The wind howls through the valley as the desolate desert expectantly awaits the coming of a new crew next August, and Black Rock City will rise out of the desert once again. 
I just really, really, really love the Burning Man scene. The reason I'm talking so much about Burning Man here on Trinity's Emerald Triangle is because it was such a huge influence on my life and still is to this day. This is the kind of culture I wanted to create for myself and my life up in NorCal. There is a certain population of people who never get to go to Burning Man. Liberal parents with school-age children, liberal school teachers, and weed farmers. The first days and week of school falls in the Burning Man dates. For the farmers and growers, it was too close to the end of the season, and none of them could leave the farm during that time. Many farmers and workers had a deep longing to go, but just couldn't. Teachers and parents of young children are too responsible to leave their children that long. As the Burning Man Festival gets bigger and bigger each year, it's a huge ordeal not only to be completely self-reliant to live on a desert wearing costumes for eight days, but also to get your rig into the gate. One year, I remember sitting in line to get into the festival for over 17 hours. I think that's a record. It's worse than Disney World. <laughs> However, a lot of the people who have already attended Burning Man live the cultural aspects year-round. Burning Man is kind of a grassroots movement more than just an event. Most burners have attended the festival at least four to five times. I know some people who've gone up to 17 times. I myself have been four times. There's starting to be an unspoken consensus that it's time to let newbies attend. Let the newbies learn the scene and ways of enlightenment. Newly enlightened little newbies are the cutest babies. We love them so. Tickets always sell out the first few hours and break the internet. With the experienced burners, there is now a kind of grassroots synergy going into recreating smaller and more manageable Burning Man events over Labor Day weekends at local or statewide vortexes. DJ burners can play club and bass music under the stars on 30-foot high speakers pretty much anywhere. We can dress up in vibrant costumes with friends and family of the heart and build our own man and temple for the mini burns and, of course, stay up till the sun comes up. These burner events outside Black Rock City are called orphan burns and they're popping up everywhere all over the West. It's a perfect alternative to fighting the mass of people. The festival can't really get much bigger because environmental limits on the desert. Also, the fun police, DEA, and other federal authorities are starting to impose their authoritarian bullshit on everybody in Black Rock City anyways. So, you know what? Now we can carry the torch out into our own little vortexes into the world. Creating a vortex outside of Burning Man, this was my dream. I wanted to bring an orphan burn to NorCal without the fire. Just barely coming out of the 10-year drought makes it so that NorCal can't even handle campfires, let alone an effigy or a temple burn. But we can still crank up the generators and listen to music, 
build Bedouin temples, and create art installations made out of light, dance under the stars in costumes, and participate in workshops. And most of all, we can create a tiny local event where people can connect with deep acceptance. Tiny had a 300-acre farm with a pond, a deck, and running water throughout the property. We had a lot of wonderful neighborhood parties there all summer long. The last year we were in business, Bob and I leased a lease-to-purchase farm, which was 22 acres big. Our older son, his wife, and our little granddaughter lived on that property just up the hill from Tiny's farm. This estate had an elegant, spacious home made out of giant recycled redwood railroad ties. The property had electricity and came with water rights. That was a big deal. It was a really big deal. The kitchen had a Viking stove. How dreamy is that? <laughs> the open living room with its high redwood rafters was opulent and made to entertain in. There was a jacuzzi on a wide deck that wrapped around the house overlooking the coastal mountains. We had a lovely champagne Mother's Day brunch there that year. There was a greenhouse and three barns. There was plenty of acreage to plant princesses, build homes, store equipment, and have parties. The elegant little farm was a wholesome place to raise dogs, cats, horses, goats, chickens, and grandkids. One of those barns had eight rooms and was perfect for housing trimmers. There was a garage that could be turned into a mother-in-law cottage, numerous fruit trees, raspberry and blackberry bushes, and a vegetable garden. It even had a Japanese garden with a koi pond and a second, much larger pond with ducks swimming under a giant willow tree. I could already see a giant bronze Buddha from the Redway Asian Antique Store sitting peacefully on the deck under that majestic tree. I could envision Trey and my daughter doing yoga there on the Buddha's deck under the willow. I had a vision of inviting our local friends and my friends from Salt Lake to come camp out for long holiday weekends, participating in symposiums and art workshops. I wanted to invite my DJ friends to play for all of us around a barrel fire down the hill in front of one of the barns on velvet summer evenings. This barn was a perfect place to string colored lights and hang out and dance because it was isolated. The loud music wouldn't bother anybody. There were plenty of places for people to sleep and camp on this property on warm fall days and cool autumn nights here in the Emerald Triangle. As Bob and I drove our loads through the triangle and beyond, we talked and planned for hours and hours about all the vibrant activities we could do with others on our weed farm besides just growing weed. I call this estate sanctuary because we felt protected from the outside world. Sanctuary is what it meant to me. When we were just shy of about $20,000 that we needed to purchase the farm, the feds arrested Bob and me on the interstate 10 miles outside of Salt Lake City on Labor Day weekend of 2015. And yes, it was a yard sale. 
The whole debacle was one big cliché. Drug dogs, handcuffs, the whole kitten caboodle. But miraculously, because Bob was in a wheelchair, remember I told you he had crushed his feet falling from a rope swing in Tiny's Pond? It was a holiday weekend, and the cops didn't have any place to put a handicapped person in the Tooele County Jail. So they let us go. <laughs> Without the load, they took that one with them. <laughs> sure enough, it was too good to be true. A week later, the hammer came down when 30 DEA agents in military gear stormed our home early one morning. They pointed the red lasers of their guns on us as they tore up the house, searching and taking things. They also handcuffed us and took Bob away. We were each taken separately in cop cars 20 miles north of Salt Lake to Davis County Jail. As I've told you before, this was an inside job. That same morning they arrested us, a caravan of 10 black SUVs drove up on the mountain, disregarded the four 215 cards that we had, burned down all the 100 plants, arrested everyone who was there that day, and put out warrants for those who weren't. DEA sees both the Salt Lake and NorCal cruise assets, computers, cell phones, valuable farm equipment, iPads, all our product, and stole our cash. But alas, there was no takings of guns or meth because there wasn't anything like that to take. Like a tsunami roaring over an anthill, DEA SWAT teams completely wiped out our little crew. Anything DEA didn't find was used to pay for our meager defenses. By the time the government was done with us all, no one had a home to live in or a dime left to their name. It felt like a nuclear bomb had hit. Even at that, Utah DEA and the federal prosecutors were deeply disturbed they couldn't find or do more damage. Bob and I have two friends we used to party with, and every time we came home from the festivities, it was always the same conversation over and over. I had it memorized. These two etards would sit in the back seat talking. When my grandpa dies, I'm going to inherit millions. The girlfriend, who forgot to pay her brain bill, would squeal with anticipation and say something like, Oh, wow, you could buy ten mansions and a big old yacht. You put up with the worst people when you're high. <laughs> then the grandson of the not-yet-dead grandfather would put out his hand like the good fairy waving a wand and pronounce, And then I'm going to give you a million dollars. She would clap her hands in delight. Sure enough, like a well-rehearsed play, he would inevitably say, And I'm going to give you, Bob. Buddy, a million dollars, too, as he touched Bob on the shoulder. Then he turned benevolently to me and said, And I'm going to give Trinity, wait for it, are you waiting for it? Mouth it with me, too, a million dollars. <laughs> oh, I swear, it didn't matter how high I was or how tripped out I was. I knew these guys were all foam and no beer. So now, this code talk for whenever Bob and I are observing a similar dynamic of someone who's making promises they can't keep or bragging about things that are out of reach, 
It's a private joke between us. When my grandpa dies. <laughs> you know, now that everything's said and done since the feds came in and scorched it all down, we've tried to regroup, but it's not like it was. Our world is disintegrated. From the production of this episode, it's been almost four years ago since DEA stormed our home and the farm on that early October dawn. Do you think that my vision of creating a sanctuary and making a viable living farming weed was like my silly friends? Was this whole dream of mine, all my actions, thoughts, and desires, nothing more than when my grandpa dies? Just a, a, a pipe dream? Did we ever even have a chance of building a sanctuary? I often wonder, was I just a big fool like my friends? Authoritarian stereotypes will lecture. Of course you were. Religious skulls will reprimand. What deplorable person would try to make a living farming weed? Who does this kind of thing? Conservatives who have tiny little uneventful lives who have no comprehension of dreaming big or even dreaming period unaccomplished controllers who have so little in their own lives won't let up until every single person on earth is disciplined and restrained into one long line of unmessy humanoids the beatings in the news and on the blogging threads and social media will continue until morale improves. Vindictive judgment, oppression, and punishment isn't even going to stop until the second coming or caliphate is here and every last one of us is forced to obey the Lord or Allah, whoever's God is more powerful. Maybe it was just a pipe dream. Maybe I was waiting for my grandpa to die. I don't know. It surely was a lovely dream and trying to turn it into a practicality, a physical manifestation was a lot of fun. Sometimes it's more about the journey than the destination. I still have a lot of things to talk about regarding my journey and the industry. I just wanted you to know what I was working for, what my dream was, and why I was doing these things in the first place. You can understand me, Trinity the Trafficker, Trinity the Traveler, just plain old me, Trinity. You can understand that perhaps I'm not so very different than you even though I am now a certified felon. You know what? I'm gonna wear this felon label like a big gold star. I'm gonna put it on my shelf like it's the fucking Oscar. What do you think about that? I'd like to thank my family so much for helping me win this award and all the agents who were so dedicated and lovingly gave up their time, lives, and energy. <laughs> I would also like to thank the prosecutors who helped me become a badass. Thank you all so much. <laughs> Once again, that's all the time we have for tonight, kids. <laughs> so stay out of 
If you've never been to Burning Man, you really should go. It will change your life. It did mine, but whatever you do, don't do anything I would do except go to Burning Man. <laughs> we'll see you later. Bye-bye.